Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. One program note before we get started. This interview was recorded before the recent firing of a coach for abusive and predatory behavior in the National Women's Soccer League. This has opened many eyes, including mine, to long-term disregard for players' health and safety within the league. Aaron McLeod, the guest on this episode, plays in the league for the Orlando Pride. And while we discuss toxic coaching, we don't discuss the current issues surrounding her league. Since this conversation and the news of the firing broke, Aaron and many of her now unionized colleagues are fighting for an important league, I believe. Soccer in the U.S. for women is important, and they'd like their league, their place of work, to be safe and free of abuse. Don't we all? Please get to know their story and support them as they fight for the health and safety of their league. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a podcast at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and executive producer, Ed. On this episode, we talk to Aaron McLeod. Aaron is a veteran goalie on the Canadian women's national soccer team who just won gold in Japan. Uh, she's also a member of the Orlando Pride in the National Women's Soccer League, but her biggest achievement, and you'll hear about it here in a minute, is keeping that gold in perspective. She's late in her career. She's been through a lot a lot of injuries and has had some personal battles to overcome like a lot of us. We get into that, including a massive move for her and her family when she was 14 and a rising star on the soccer field. She's just as impressive off of it, an activist, an entrepreneur, and like me, a podcast host. It was a really nice chat and went very quickly for both of us, and we hope you enjoy it as well. This is A Golden Perspective with Aaron McLeod. I played into the modern-ish era, so I played into the 96 was my last season of of professional sports. So, you know, all the big media companies were around. The internet was just starting, though, so there was no platforms except except for us to, you know, I got into radio, so I had a platform on radio, then I got into television, so that was my platform off the field, but it was more just in service of the sport. It wasn't in service of me or my business, And, and it's so cool to see your generation and the younger generation even than you really taking hold of social media and building a platform and having an identity that you can both monetize and have impact with i mean it's yeah. really extraordinary i think the growth in athletes being activists and this whole just dribble thing it's like really <laughs> come on yeah <laughs> let's be real you 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 really and a lot of modern athletes have really harnessed the power of new media and it's it's really cool to see yeah no i think it is a it's funny like social media i have this like love-hate relationship with social media um but i think kind of like anything you kind of choose the role that it has in your life and and um there's just so many inspiring people um on instagram who are you know so many accounts that kind of keep um, you know, keep things relevant, keep me knowing what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, I mean, of, of course I also have like news apps that I'm, I'm, uh, watching all the time, but it's just, uh, it's cool to see what, what, uh, thing from the news like picks up and, um, you know, what the uh, general population, I guess, is paying attention to. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and congrats, you have an Olympic gold medal. That's kind of cool. I mean, your resume is a mile. I couldn't believe how long your Wikipedia page was, by the way. Took me a long time. 
to come well, through. Well, I've been it. playing it's... for a long time. I think that's probably all it is. You yeah, know? but your off-the-field your activism, <laughs> the brands that you've launched. I mean, there's there's quite a bit to dig into. I, I, I highly yeah. recommend it as a big source for this is your Wikipedia page. Okay. But, but what's cool is now you have the, the gold medal. What, you know, what's the coolest thing that's happened since you guys won? What, 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 what event, what thing, you know, where did you get to go? I know it's been COVID and kind of weird, but for you and the team. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. Like I came straight back to Orlando. I haven't been back home to Canada Mm. since, since we won. So, oh man, I know. So to be honest, it's kind of like, you know, we had like a a great, like, you know, the, the pride put on this like little surprise party for me, um, which was so fantastic. But then other, other than that, it was kind of like, business as usual but i think from a from a personal standpoint what is so wonderful is um, my whole life most of my life my career my everything was just wrapped up my identity was wrapped up with being a soccer player until the Mm. last couple years and someone asked me like how has the gold medal changed your life and and i i mean this in a respectful way um it hasn't at all. And mm. in, the, in the sense that I'm really proud of my accomplishments, I'm really, really proud of my career. But what I was able to do this last Olympics was just enjoy. And it wasn't always easy. I didn't, I didn't step on the field for a minute. You know what I mean? There were some challenges, but mm. um, I think just being proud of enjoying the process and being in the moment and enjoying everything and the medals like the icing on the cake you know but just kind of like the journey to get there um i'm i'm so proud of and so uh, so i think in that way it was it's been really cool that's uh, congratulations on that i think that's a big achievement to be at that place you know it's uh, the things people win and the awards we give each other, it's, you know, who are you? What are you about? <laughs> you know? And I think right. because maybe you've played for so long and you've done so much and had so much life and had so many experiences um, that have been, you know, super challenging. I mean, I read about your, your move to, I think it was Indonesia when you were 14. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, for a teen at that age and that sport, and then you had to compete against or got to compete against boys. I'm not sure of your perspective on that, but yeah. you've been through a lot. So to get to somewhere where you, it's nice to have on your resume, but it doesn't define you, I think is uh, yes. it, yeah. it's good for you. That's, that's a, that's a big achievement. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of athletes and I have gotten into this habit before and I think you know, like in 2016, I watched the Olympics from my living room and I I helped the team qualify and tore Mm. my ACL in the game that helped us to get there. And I just remember feeling um, such a loss and I was uh, depressed and I felt like I lost who I was, my identity. And and really it was probably one of the most important moments in my life where I realized that I had defined myself entirely based on my career and and outcomes of games and um and it you know at the end of the day was kind of empty especially when it doesn't doesn't go your way and Mm. um to find my self-worth and who i am and what's important to me and and my you know a lot of people call it your why uh, to be able to find that um i had to kind of feel like i've lost everything to realize like everything i had it was right everything i i have and need is is actually just right here you know, I've, I've explored a lot of that since um, I left the game and then I got into broadcasting. I coached for a while. 
So it's just around the sport of football for a really, really long time. And just sports in general, you know, I've been on competitive sports teams since I was five or six or, you know, whatever. Um, right. But I just learned this probably four or five years ago. And it really helped me frame if I coach or I, you know, I sort of do coach some new sports or whatever, that there's negative competition and there's positive competition. And negative competition is where your value is based on your performance and the outcome of the games. And positive competition is where you get to learn and push yourself in a positive, supportive environment to improve and try to win the game. Yeah. It took so long for me to see because I've, you know, anybody who's played for a long time has had abusive coaches. Any sport. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anywhere. Emotionally, physically, all of us. And to get to that place where we're finally talking about that. And I, you know, I see these coaches getting, especially here in in us colleges. And I know you played um, in the U S and collegiately um, seeing Mm -hmm. these coaches getting fired in both men's and women's sports is it's so refreshing for people who've been under that. I mean, I, my first coach in college, my first coach in the NFL, it was just like, they were monsters. They just were. You know, and, yeah. and, and you take that on personally, it's your fault. It's, you know, oh, I can do better. <laughs> you know, you do that, right. that, that loop. So it's just great that I, you got to a place in your career where you could sort of undo that a bit. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think that a lot of coaches fall into this trap and, and some of the work that I do with the mindful project, like uh, my business partner has her doctorate in mindfulness research and I geek out all the time mm. about the research and, and it, it does speak to specifically, like, first of all, the relationship we have with ourselves, you know, like I, I'm, I've met so many athletes that are perfectionists, me being the same and, and mm-hmm. so hard on yourself when you make a mistake. And it's so funny because it's learned, like we're, we mm-hmm. learn mm-hmm. from other society or our parents or whatever, that, that there should be shame associated with mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, and, you know, and a mistake really like at its core is trying, is doing, trying to do something you've never done before. So it's an extremely like vulnerable process and, mm. and we're so unforgiving. And then you've got the coach in your ear, you know, screaming at you. And um, it's just, um, it's not that conducive to learning. And, and, you know, I, people kind of make fun of me sometimes about mindfulness and um, that it's, um, <laughs> you know, like all soft speaking, you know, like mm-hmm. easy listening, whatever, no. but, but then we get into self-compassion and the research shows that people that have have, like higher self-compassion learn faster because when they make a mistake, it's not about their self-worth and, and they applaud themselves for, for going ahead with the effort and trying something. Mm. Um, and I just think that shift, um, you know, I, I understand it now. If I understood that one as a young athlete, I think it would have changed everything and the, and the joy element, you know, like when you are, just cruel to yourself and your coaches are cruel to you and you're trying to learn and in a sport of all things, you know, Mm -hmm. it just really, it kills the joy. And, um, you know, and which is why we went out in the yard for the first place and started kicking the ball or throwing the ball. Like, you know, we really lose the childlike wonder of competing when it is all about your value is tied to your performance. And I, and you know, the flip for me, um, and it, but just backing up to you saying, I, you know, if I'd have known this earlier, I, I don't think we can know stuff until we get to our late thirties and forties and into our fifties. I know, right? Yeah. I think part of the journey yeah. is you got to learn the, the long hand of it. Um, yeah. To get to 
understanding how shame works and, you know, right. now I'm, I'm a father. So, you know, it's really important for me to start looking at myself and, you know, what am I carrying around that I'm going right. to just hand off to these people, <laughs> you know, because right. I can yeah, do it unwittingly absolutely. or I can try to be, you know, mindful and conscience conscious and, you know, right. conscientious and pay attention. Uh, otherwise it goes off the rails. Um, but yeah, I don't know that we can get there. You know, I, I, I think you have to have a certain level of um, just experience and wisdom for it to work, yeah. you yeah. know? Well, that's great. Well, yeah. And it's trial and error, right? Like I, I mean, I've learned so much, but it is, it is also cool to like, you know, know what I know now and, and about like, you know, really applauding a growth mindset. And I was playing, I was playing basketball with my four year, a four year old nephew, um, a while back. And I were like shooting hoops inside and he misses the first shot and he puts his head down Yeah, and he's so ashamed. And it's crazy to me, you know, like, or, or we tried coloring and, and he kept giving me all the pencil crayons and he wouldn't start. And I, I was like, why are you coloring? And he's like, I can't, I can't color inside the lines, yeah. you know, and, and he's four and, and, yeah. you know, like his parents, I think are doing a great job. So it's, it's just, it's interesting um, how early we really learn these things. And then, you know, I guess as you get older, you really, it's just about unlearning them. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, as a society, as we evolve and more of us have grown up, start talking about this stuff and, and, providing tools and ways to do this, we can start to move that needle because it's really ingrained. You know, when you start right. to step back, especially in America, you know, the, the gender lines with stories and toys and video games yeah. and um, you know, it's, it's really incredibly difficult. I think for kids right now yes, yeah. to not fall into that compete look better, have more. It's, it's a really difficult thing. Um, and I also think it's a unique time for young kids because when I grew up, don't talk about race, politics, or money. Don't talk about uh -huh. that yeah. stuff. Right. Right. Now that's all we talk about. Right. All the, it's all the time. And so as a adult, right. I can say, well, how do I talk about it with my kids? What do we say? How do we introduce nuance into their thinking? So it's way, I think, more advanced in some ways. And also, you know, quite a bit more pitfalls into what we're talking about. The what do I look like? How many trophies do I have instead of who am right. I and what do I believe in and, and what do I do? So, um, right. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you talk about that moment where you're sitting on the couch watching your team in the Olympics. I had a moment in college, we won a national championship Hello? and I got called for a penalty that erased a score that would have sealed the game. And it was not, I mean, I, it wasn't a penalty. I, I, I didn't do anything, but got called and, and we didn't score. And the other team went down the field and I'm on the sidelines, just ready to throw up <laughs> the whole time right, right. this is going on. And what was great about it was my coach at the time who's a great guy. And, you know, we talk about bad coaches. I have, you know, people that I love and respect dearly who pushed me really hard, but in a very humane way and a thoughtful way. And this guy was right. one of them. And once he saw that, you know, I hadn't fouled and I didn't make, you know, he was just like, he was slapping me on the back and laughing because we ended up winning 
thankfully. Right. Um, right. But, you know, in that moment, I actually had the right coach that it didn't, you know, sort of hang with me. Um, so, right. I, you know, and I, I mean, have you had that experience or the coaches you've worked with that, you know, in the realm we're talking about thought of you, you know, and treated the players in a, you know, respectful, but also because, you know, you still have to tight boundaries. We've got, you know, it's, right. this is professional sports here. Of course, of course. I mean, you always have to drive a standard, right? And I, um, yeah, and I think, I think we're in a really um, incredible stage, I think, for coaching because there's this um, part of coaching that, like we talked about, they, they realize that, uh, you know, being so harsh on athletes and, and uh, you know, being rude, really, when it comes to making mistakes, like it, it doesn't serve a purpose. And then there's this other side of coaching now that, like, um, it's very interactive. They want to get feedback from their athletes. They want to, it's kind of like working together, which also gives the athletes more accountability. And I think for me, um, John Herdman with the Canadian national team, like we won the bronze medal with him in London, 2012. And, um, right before he came on, we finished last place, um, out mm. of 16 teams at the world cup last place. Mm. And what I loved about his approach, the first, like we sat down as a group, and he kind of said, like, what went wrong? What can we do better? And like, how are how are we, everyone in this room, how are we going to change it? And it was, um, it also becomes really easy, I think, as an athlete, especially if you play team sport, to blame the coach mm. when things go wrong. But when you become a part of the process, um, then we're all to blame. You know what I mean? So it was, it was really uh, this empowering moment which um, I'll never forget. And, um, you know, I do a little bit of coaching myself and I think that's, it's so important because, you know, like teach a man to fish, you know, that old saying, mm, like yeah. when you start learning things yourself and, and like putting the questions back on the players, I think it's a, it's a really exciting time for, for coaching. And plus, you know, the, even like the work safe policies and there's yeah. um, you know, there's been a history of a lot of, stuff that's just not okay and and now there's a there's like you talked about race and politics and 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 like now we're talking and now we're realizing um also how how we should be treated and mm. i think that has also changed. yeah that's that that goes right to self-value and, and self-worth that's the heart of it right right absolutely mm. uh, with you know the, the, the coaching part for me, um, there, there's a lot of data and I, I can't reference the research, um, but that shows that being more collective, allowing the athlete to have more voice, treating them more, more humanely gets better performance, <laughs> you know, in the classroom, yeah. on the field. Um, but the other really interesting stuff that I've been delving into and I, I practiced it a bit in youth sports is actually don't coach at all encourage and set an set an environment that the kids and the athletes can explore with some rules and some plays and some here's how you play the game but essentially getting yeah. out of their way and letting them learn yeah. what's best for them and there's a there's a I wish I could remember the um uh, it's a, it's a baseball training facility up in the Northwest and it was featured in uh, revisionist history, the uh, podcast by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should check it out. It's about a guy who 
played some baseball, you know, never really made it and became a freshman coach at a high school. And all the other coaches hated him because he didn't coach. He just let the guys play and have fun and they right. got better. And then he got into the mechanics of pitching and throwing and hitting. And he built this system that, you know, if you went and threw a fastball, you could measure everything, the velocity of your forearm right. and all that. And so what they let the athletes do in real time is throw a pitch as hard as you can. Oh, look what that data said about your forearm. What do you think you can do there? People are improving right. the speed of their fastball by 15 and 20% with less stress on their elbow and arm or in shoulder, huh. which, right. and it's just the athlete and them standing there in an environment that the athletes figuring it out for themselves through their body mechanics, through their, their feel, <laughs> you know, this, right. this lurch forward. And it's hard because as a coach I've coached before. I had seven things written down on my sheet. We've got to do this today. We, you know, I've, I've been in that loop and I think there still has to be some of that, but some of the creativity right. has to go back to the, to the athlete, I think in, in this setup. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, getting back to John Herbin, he, he taught us so much about tactics and, and I always think it's a, it's a fine line, right? Like I'm a creative person. I love art. I love to create, um, and, you know, we talk about mistakes, like that's, that's like the birthplace of, of, of uh, creativity. Yeah. Creativity. Trial and error. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so having a coach or someone who's encouraging you to see what you're capable of, um, you know, that's, that's one thing. And then, you know, sometimes there needs to be like some structure, like if you're <laughs> defending however you want, you know, especially in soccer, you know, it might not end up exactly how you want it. So there is, I know that there's some structure, but I feel like I agree, like let players figure, figure it out. I've, I've had a lot of coaches that give you the answers, you know, or, you know, when you go to class and <laughs> I remember university, there's a lot of teachers that gave you the notes. They gave you all the notes on online and um, there wasn't a lot of interaction and it was just, you're just told what to do and yeah. there was no room for creativity. And to be honest, like also, none of that was sticking your durable memories and um, your yeah. brain is incredibly <laughs> adaptive. Right. So it's yeah. like, we we're wired to succeed. We're wired to evolve. Like, um, so I think, uh, I think that's, that's part of it. And then also kind of finding your uniqueness. And I think like when I think of a lot of great players that have come through, you know, any league that I've been in or with a national team, they always have like an X factor. And you don't find the X factor unless you've had the freedom to figure that out. Mm. So I think, I think there's like a, yeah, like there's a, there's a fine line. There is some structure understanding the game learning and then, and then, you know, somehow making it your own and kind of putting your special sauce on it. Yeah. I, we had a player in college who ended up being our quarterback for the national championship season. And nice. he was terrible in practice. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. When he yeah. our, our starter got hurt and he had to take over, and uh, it just he needed the bright lights. He needed to be on the field. Hmm. You know, he needed when it, when he needed chips to be down to perform. <laughs> he never right. lost a game in college as a starting quarterback, and was wow. awful in practice. I mean, right? Just couldn't no accuracy. Nothing. It's <laughs> sort of fascinating. Right. I've seen it right. on that level. Um, well, you know, as I looked at your background and, you know, I'm 
in the sort of Hollywood documentary storytelling phase. And I yeah. mentioned earlier moving to Indonesia when you were 14. That seems like such a incredible thing to go through such a relatable age for so many people, you know, 14, 15, 16, your whole world is just flipping upside down. And here you are in a foreign right. country. You're starting to excel at soccer. Walk us through that transition in your life. And then, you know, the sort of insanity that ensued, because I've got to think that had a big impression on, on who you are and what you do now. Oh yeah. I mean, when we first moved, I was devastated because, um, and you were 14 soccer, when you moved. Yeah. 14 years old. Soccer was my whole life. I'm starting to make like the provincial team, which is like the state team. And I'm moving up the ranks and, you know, the family, you know, throws in a curveball, So we're moving to Indonesia. <laughs> I didn't even know where Indonesia was on the map at that yeah. point in my life, you know? And so we get over there and, um, and I'll never forget driving to school the first day because we get there and they're, they're putting us up in really nice homes and whatever. And, um, but we, we drive, we're driving to school and, um, literally going down this little alleyway. And on my left is just like uh, cardboard boxes, cardboard boxes. And I'm like, why are there so many cardboard boxes? And it's 32, it's on the, the equator, right? So it's 32 degrees Celsius every day of the year. And this there's families just living in these cardboard mm. boxes on my left. And then on and then we keep driving and then there's a, a Catholic school on my left, kids about my age. And then there's a um, Islamic school on my right. And they're literally like throwing rocks and glass mm. and at, at one another. And this, is, this is literally my first, you know, first day of school. And I'm like, where am I, you know? And, um, and also say that the longer we stayed there, like, um, Indonesian people are so kind and wonderful and um, just so friendly. And I felt so lucky to be there, you know, but when I first got there, I thought, right. like, what are, what are we in for? And, uh, but then once I kind of got over the, the shock of like, you know, living in my bubble my whole life, then I was able to, to, you know, really like enjoy the food and the culture. And, and yes, not, you never get comfortable seeing that that type of poverty but mm. also realizing you know how lucky I have been my whole life and um just things that you know like I remember one day someone <laughs> someone called me fat like a some uh, someone from Indonesia called me fat and I mm. you know my initial reaction was to be insulted but it was a compliment because if you have enough you know, I have enough money to eat you know, what I want mm. basically. So, so just like learning differences wow. in cultures and, and um, you know, they were giving me a compliment and it was just, um, there's so many little things that just, you know, broaden my awareness and, you know, like 85% of the, the country is Muslim. And I know, um, you know, there's sometimes a, a really, you know, the Islamic faith gets a bad rap and being there, like it was so important for me because, just kind and friendly loving human beings and um i think a lot of times we get stuck in what we think something is and um so for so many reasons as a young person it was um it really helped 
and, you know, I'm still learning, you know, obviously the last couple of years, um, you know, how to be anti-racist and there's, and, and I still am, am reading and educating myself as much as possible, but I definitely think this is where it kind of started for me to realize how, how lucky and privileged I had been my whole life to be middle-class, middle-class white Canadian, um, and just that so much more of the world existed out there. Mm. Yeah, it's such a fascinating time. And then, you know, to get back and get into the soccer on such a big level to have yeah. that life experience, because you've been around the world. I mean, how many World Cups have you been to? And where have I've you been played? To, I, I lost God. track of how many places you played. <laughs> I've been to four. I know me too. Uh, I've been to four world cups. I've been to three Olympics. I've played in Germany and Sweden and multiple places in the U S and Canada. Those were all probably simple compared to being 14 in Indonesia, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> it, actually the, fir the first year that I got there, I was on this like boys select team. So I, I was a goalkeeper, the only girl on the team. I was on the select team and, and a lot of, um, people at the school, I was at the Jakarta International School. There's a lot of expats there. So a lot of European, like really incredible young soccer players. Oh, wow. But then the next year, I was too old for that team. So I was, if you can believe it, the star midfielder for our, um, for our women's like high school team. And oh, it was cool. just, just a, such a different experience both years. And I think, what I'm really proud of is, is my parents, like, I cannot give them enough props, you know, at the age, at, in the 10th grade, I sat them down and I said, listen, I need to be in Canada so I can get a scholarship to go to the U S and they let me go. I like lived That's with my great. grandma's for the 11th and 12th grade. And they just, they were like, follow your dream. And I just feel, um, you know, I thought they were going like, to laugh in my face, but they, um, they were hundred percent behind me. So That's I feel really great. yeah. So when you finally get back to Canada, and I know uh, we've put the the Olympic gold medal in its proper context, which is great. Yes. However, yes. a lot of people are going to be happy to see you <laughs> yes. and yeah. sort of yeah. revel in that a little bit, because I'm sure they were part of that time that you were on the couch during the Olympics. So uh, oh, yes. you, is, there a, is there a date out there for Aaron McLeod Day back in your hometown yet? Gosh, I don't even know yet. Um, I think the earliest I'll get back to Canada. I know there's a few national team camps coming up in October and November. Um, I know that, um, you know, the national team is doing like a victory tour, which will oh, be cool. fantastic. That's the first time in history. Um, so I'm really proud of that. We, we negotiated that into our contracts a while ago. So um, I'm a big, big believer in plan for success. Um, That's great. So, uh, yeah, so that'll be sometime in October, November, but when I'll actually have, um, you know, my family in, in my arms, I think that'll be, um, mid, mid December almost. So oh. still, still a, a ways to go. <laughs> You'll yeah. have to do a video conference for now. Well, enjoy I know, it. I know, I know it's, I know. Yeah. it's wonderful to hear. We all live on zoom right now anyway, so it wouldn't be so weird. Yeah. yeah. But Hey, I, it, it was terrific. I, I, I love the context that you, are going back to enjoy this uh, parade and, and all the adulation you all should get for your accomplishment. It's nice that you have it in that, in that frame for you personally. It's really wonderful to hear. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I look forward to it. Well, that was nice. Thank you, Aaron, for the conversation. Aaron is currently a member of the Orlando Pride in the National Women's Soccer League. 
You can support her, find out how she's doing, how the team is doing. She's on Twitter at Erin McLeod18. That's E-R-I-N-M-C-L-E-O-D-1-8. At Erin McLeod. She is also an artist. We didn't talk about that. I think she mentioned it once, but she might have an exhibition coming out soon. She sold out her last one. And go check out her podcast. The title will make sense when you hear it. Three Sides with Aaron McLeod. And I think we heard, obviously she has way more sides than three, but I think we heard sort of the three parts of Aaron in this conversation for sure. Check her out. It is also a part of the Believe podcast platform. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Look up Three Sides with Aaron McLeod or find it wherever you cast. Thanks, Aaron. As usual, a big resource for me and this show is Wikipedia. Aaron has a very impressive page. A lot of resources and click-throughs you can go on to, but I always make a donation on behalf of the show. Thanks, Wikipedia. You keep it straight for me. Let's Settle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated, and this episode was produced by me and Alex Tosopoulos and edited by Ryan Lindsay. Along with Alex, the rest of the Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat. Carter is the audio engineer. Cam Rogers and Connor Haynes help out on marketing. Cam Rogers also hosts Golf Bets on Us, which is a podcast on Believe and all over the podcast space. And of course, my first contact to Believe, Bron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review somewhere, wherever you're listening. Find us on social media at Let's Huddle With for Twitter. The Facebook page is Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham. Instagram is Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. And if you want to come to the show's webpage, it is on the Believe site, B-L-E-A-V dot com. You can look through their lineup and then search up Let's Huddle and you'll come to the show. Reach out, let us know what you think, but please do so patiently. This is a DIY world in podcasting, and I have social media training wheels on. So reach out, tell us what you like, what you want to hear, any corrections. Uh, Just be patient. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.